Welcome to episode number seven of the Camera Shake podcast with me, Nick Kirby and Kirsten Lutz, the photo and video podcast coming straight out of isolation into your eardrums. We'll be talking about life in lockdown, what's happening in the world outside, and if we're lucky, we might even touch on photography too. But before we get started, please throw us a solid by liking this episode and subscribing to the podcast. If our buttery smooth voices aren't quite enough for you, then pop over to YouTube and check us out there in full Technicolor. Let's crack on. In today's episode, we have an awesome guest who is not only an incredible photographer, working with the likes of Monster Energy, Automech and Puma, but he also provides media consultancy, web design, and he even has his own podcast. But above all, he's a really good friend of mine. I want you to welcome Dan Fijant. Hey, Dan. How's it going, man? You all right? Hey, Nick. Nice to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Hey, Dan. Right. Hello, Kirsten. Thank you very much for having me, guys. It's really cool to be on this podcast. Excellent. It's been such a long time. Um, it makes me happy to see your face again. Really cool, dude. <laughs> it has. It has. It's been ages, like five or six years, I think, now at this point. It's yeah. incredible. Yeah, time flies. And it looks like my hair's been growing for about five or six years too. So, Same. you know, lockdown here. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Speaking of lockdown though, um, how how's this been affecting you and and your business? Um, right, well, yeah, a bit, bit about me, I guess. Uh, I'm, I am primarily a photographer, as you said, um, exactly. And I'm primarily an event photographer. So <laughs> lockdown was not kind on uh, my trade. <laughs> um, yeah, it was really scary. Uh, I'd be lying if I said it didn't. Um, I start off every year with a series of contracts that outline my work, kind of gives me an idea of how much I'm going to earn, when I'm going to work. I pick up things throughout the year, but it gives me a solid structure. Um, to see that taken away in the space of a few days was really terrifying. Um, to go from, 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 from knowing your income to not knowing your income, really, really scary. Um, yeah, so I've had, to, I've had to adapt. That's really, yeah, it's, it's, it's not been good for any of us, I don't think, any photographers who who work outdoors, who work with marketing teams is, is damaging, really damaging. Mm -hmm. So, so how have you gone about what, what are the type of things that you've done to kind of help yourself through, through lockdown? Well, okay. So first off, um, I caught up with all my editing. Uh, that was a big thing. So I have got, well, I did have an insane backlog of, of pictures that didn't quite make the initial cut. I work, I work quite quickly uh, at an event, especially if it's, so if it is the events, I'm literally delivering images within two hours of the end of the event. So I am, I have a very fast workflow um, as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, I've got, I know people who are quicker, but I consider that to be pretty quick for me. I've fine tuned that. <laughs> um, so anyway, my backlog was huge. So the first week was spent um, reorganizing my backlog, um, getting through it, editing everything, finding a few gems here and there and, and putting them aside and stuff like that, right? That was great. So we all love a week off, right? That's that's fine. Um, then I was like, right, what can I do now? So I started to overhaul my own website. Again, long overdue. I think it was up until two months ago, it was three or four years out of date. So I it's one of those, you're always too busy, aren't you? So it's anyway, um, went from there and then I thought, right, I need to find a way to, um, bring in an income because this is not going to get any better any very fast. It's not going to get better quick. So I looked at skills that I've learned, picked up over the years, not necessarily primary skills with photography, but skills that I've learned through working with marketing teams and so on. So 
um, I started doing a lot more website design, um, a lot more uh, social media support and taking over social media accounts to help people uh, and try and sort of improve marketing. Uh, a lot of my targeting has been sort of smaller businesses and the tourist industry, because again, these are all places that are struggling. Um, and I'm not trying to take advantage of the situation, but I'm trying to show that I can lend a hand and I can offer my support and offer skills to improve their business when we all get through this. So that's really what it is. I've just adapted. Um, yeah. And I think that's a key word right there is the ability to adapt during this situation. You know, we're in a self-employed game, you know, right now and still need to try and make a living, still need to earn, earn some money. And you being able to take some other skills that you do have that you may not have used as your primary skills over the last few years, um, and to be able to utilize those now is so critical. And you're very lucky to have the the additional skill sets there too. I, I think so. Yeah, no, I think so, Nick. I, I'm, I'm always scared of putting all my eggs in one basket, um, I'll, which I know is a cliched expression, but I'll devote... I'll devote all my time to learn a skill and try and become the best I can be at it. So that's how I've always treated the photography. Um, and I have always felt like this is my style. This is what I deliver and this is the best I can do it. Right. This is as fast as I can do it. And no one, but I've always thought in the background, I need to keep learning things. So, um, I mean, even on my bookcase over there, there's a load of classroom books from Adobe. I've tried to learn every single piece of the suite, like just to know everything. Um, I have, read as many sort of CSS books as I can to try and learn some code. Um, and I am just constantly trying to think of what if this goes wrong? So even before this, like, what if I don't want to do photography anymore? What if I wake up one day and go, nah, it's not for me. I don't know when that would happen, but what if that happens? Um, I need to be able to have something else. So that's, yeah. yeah. Well, that, that's interesting. You, I know you say it's a cliche phrase, all your eggs in one, one basket, but that is actually how we basically met right? Years ago, totally outside of photography. It was, you know, your your mindset of knowing that I've got something to back up what I'm doing all, all the time and have a, you know, before you went fully self-employed, you had a full-time job as well, right? And that, that's where, 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 where me, where, where, excuse me, that's where we met. Um, do you want to tell our listeners a little bit how, about how we met and you know, why you were working there at the time? Yeah, of course. Um, so yeah, I came out of uni um, and I was, as most people do, uh, you start hunting for a job and you believe um, because of the way it's structured that after uni, you've got to get a good office job. Like if that's, you know, if that's the way it is, um, if that's what you want to do. If you didn't do like a creative degree uh, and I was languages, so nothing, again, nothing to do with photography, um, then you've got to find something. So anyway, um, I saw Amazon and I thought, Amazon, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty big. So I thought I'll go for this. I'll try this. And, um, I was very fortunate enough to get a job and I started working in your team, Nick. So, uh, you were my manager for the two years I was there and yeah, I loved it. Um, I felt like it was rewarding in the sense that it was a good challenge. Um, and it was a lot of, it was like data analysis, but it was rewarding. I found a way to find it rewarding. I think that's the key way to do it um, and I believed I wasn't too bad at it as well so it was quite fulfilling and it was rewarding in that sense I know I've said that a few times but it, it genuinely I took something from it um, I was earning on the side a little bit from photography dipping my toes in um, I was away maybe a few weekends a year um, 
most evenings were spent doing something photography related. Um, in fact, I used to work, I don't know if you remember, but I used to work really early and leave really early so that I could, so because I would literally be home by three o'clock or half three and then be like flat out with a client, like working on something. So to me, I was like, I can make this work. Uh, absolutely exhausting, but I was young. So <laughs> um, on that note, I've definitely learned not to work every minute of the day. That's changed. Um, but back then it was necessity. Um, so yeah, so I think it was it was a good it was a support a safety net uh, working there, um, and it meant that I could experiment and and try and get photography jobs on the side whilst I worked there. Um, yeah, that's really why I kept it. That's why that's why I did it. And and, and yeah. So what you, you know you've got that safety net there. Um, you know you're you like you say you you found the job rewarding. And, you know, and this is where we're actually really quite similar. No matter what it, what it is we're actually doing, we'll find a way to make ourselves enjoy that and to find where the rewards are in it. And that, that's, that's difficult, difficult to do. Um, so what was it that finally made you decide, well, you know, I've, I've been here for a couple of years. I need time to take the plunge. I'm going to go full-time self-employed doing my photography, the thing that I love to do. Yeah, so, yeah, that was... It was a key thing. I mean, that was a right. Let, let, I want to get it straight that I definitely enjoyed what I did, and I could have stayed there and made a career out of it because I was like, I can, I can do this. I figured out the way it works. In that, I know it sounds terrible, but you, you see the way it works, and you're like, right, I could, I could live with this. This, I could be happy here, and I can make a career, or I could take a risk. And I was starting to gain more and more attention throughout the years I was there and on the lead up to starting there uh, with marketing teams and clients that I was using and I was getting, my name was getting passed about, which is fantastic. And I was picking up more stuff. Um, and I thought, well, maybe there's a, there's a gamble here. Um, and I started to sort of make a, an exit strategy in my head. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I um like tables and, and I write everything. I've got like, I worked it all out, like from <laughs> how much it would cost to live and how much I could, I could have to save up and everything. Um, so anyway, that was my plan. Now, um, perfect plans don't always work. And um, it was definitely triggered early when uh, Amazon decided to move location, which would have drastically changed the way my life was. Um, it would have removed a lot of my flexibility. Um, because of the distance for commuting and stuff. Um, and I said to myself, this is the moment. So I either decide this is my job or I take a risk. And I remember that. And it was about eight months early, really, for my plan. Um, anyway, uh, it was it was scary. Um, I, remember, I remember the, it's funny, because I remember when I was trying to leave, um, in the sense of that like, I said, I can't work here anymore. And I remember so many people were trying to convince me to stay and it was, it was lovely. Um, but I, I remember the, the confusion on a few of the people's faces when I said, no, I'm going to go and be full time. Like, oh, you haven't got a job doing something else. And I said, no, I'm going to make my own job. Uh, I'm going to work full time for myself. And the confusion on some of the senior management at the time, they were like, that's insane. Like what? And I was like, no, it's fine. Uh, if I don't try it now, I never will. Um, yeah, <laughs> that, was, that was funny. So yeah, I was scared. Um, it was the one thing that made it better is on the lead up to leaving, um, the months that sort of after my hands were forced and I had like a few, I had two months, I think to prepare, I think it was, um, I started messaging clients and, and letting them know I was going to be more available. 
people were very excited, which was really good for me. Um, I was like, oh, this could this could work. Um, and I was getting a lot of, you know, oh, uh, Dan's going to be more available. Um, you should use Dan. Like a lot of like being introduced to other companies and so. And that was really cool. Like, other departments getting in touch. Anyway, um, I remember I I handed in or uh, I left on the Friday of one of these weeks, um, and it was all coming to an end. It was scary. I left the office on the Friday, never to return. And then the Saturday morning, I was at Silverstone working. So it it, it was good. <laughs> Just like that. I know. And that's not, it wasn't as easy as that. Please no. believe me. But it, it fell into place that it happened to be the first proper booking was like the day after. So I was like, that's amazing. What a good feeling that must have been to know, right, I've just left my full time work to go full time self employed. Oh, I'm at Silverstone. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, definitely. Um, spectacular. So yeah, and then since then, there has been scary times. Uh, it's been a big learning curve. Um, there has been a big and a learning curve, not just, I don't mean the skills, um, I mean everything else that surrounds it and running your own business uh, and knowing how to price yourself, which I think is the hardest thing a photographer has, um, I believe. And yeah, so yeah, it's been a lot since then. Yeah, that's amazing, man. Absolutely amazing. So so now you, um, if memory serves, you worked a lot for Monster when you first left Amazon, is that, is that right? That's right. So um, they have actually been a really loyal client of mine um, since I left uh, Amazon and went full time. They've been very supportive. Um, yeah, I've thanks to Monster Energy, I've been to some amazing places. Uh, I have traveled the world and I have worked with some of my childhood heroes in motorsport um, and people that I can now call friends, which blows my mind. Um, for me, it's working with the likes of uh, Petter Solberg, who was a hero of mine as a kid, um, watching him on Euro, um, Eurosport, uh, the rally, and now being able to work with him and his son is oh. mind-blowing. Um, I mean, other ones like Ken Block, to work with him and his team and be a regular on their projects um, where they come over to Europe and stuff has been like, that's just, that's childhood fantasy stuff, you know? Uh, <laughs> Um, so yeah, it has been really, really exciting. Uh, so I'm very grateful to them and through working with them over the years. Yeah, it has, um, other people have obviously picked up on that other companies and have, have hired me accordingly. So it's been, they were an incredible launch pad for sure, Nick. Yeah. That's amazing. I, I, I recall, so we are in touch, you know, in quite close contact for a while after you left Amazon. I used to see you checking in to airports all over Europe almost weekly I'm, I'm sure it was weekly it was that first well this is the thing like and, and i say when i say like it wasn't easy at first like it was great having that first job right after i left and then i think there was one more that year uh two no two more that year like big jobs and then it went quiet obviously for winter mm. and back then i didn't i wasn't established enough um i mean now i don't even know what off season is some years but um <laughs> back then I knew what off season was and it was terrifying. Um, and, it, and then I thought this might not work. And it got around to like April the following year and then it just went mental. Um, and then it was just, as you say, every week it felt like, yeah. um, yeah, busy. So during that, during that off season, um, you know, how, how did that affect you? And I know obviously it was scary, scary as hell, but how did that affect you mentally? I, I know how I get when there's not work coming in or whatever, whatever it might be. You know, it, it does affect me mentally. And yeah, how, how did you get through that? Um, that was actually the triggering point for developing new skills. Um, that was when I realized that 
okay, I can sit and mope around and be sad and, and question my decision to go full time, or I can start learning skills and treating this as training time. Um, and again, not just in photography, this is where I'm talking about all the other stuff. Um, and I started to do some, I started to learn enough to be able to be efficient in video um, and enough so, so that I could eventually, which has actually eventually led me to be a grip or to be a uh, support cameraman like uh, action cam fitters or, or like basic stuff in the grand scheme of that but again gives me another avenue um so yeah so that was a big that was a big thing um i'm not i don't like wallowing around in self-pity so it was a case of right this isn't working right now let's find a way to make this work so this doesn't happen again next year and that's kind of where where i went you know, that's a really inspirational lesson for people to hear and for people to learn. You know, I, I if things aren't going well or, you know, something's wrong, I, I will sit there and I, will, I know it will sit in the back of my mind. And it's very, very easy for that to be suddenly become six weeks, 12 weeks, 20 weeks, whatever it might be. It's nights, Nick. Um, I've had plenty. Like, sit, line up going... Um, I mean, because there's also when I started getting my own space and my own flat and everything up in Scotland, that was um, because I was self-employed. This is another thing uh, totally to give even more stress when you make this decision. I had to pay uh, six months to a year up front in rent. Yeah. So next thing you know, everything you've saved in the coffers, you're like, oh, I've got to give that away. And now I've got to find that again in 12 months time. Yeah. So I know it sounds silly, but that was like another stress on top of already a stressful situation. Like it's, uh... Oh my and it's, word. It's, it's good practice really for this whole lockdown situation, because I think, you know, no matter um, you know, what industry you're in, if you're self-employed and you're faced with something um, unforeseeable, like, you know, like lockdown, you don't know how long you're going to be out of work. You don't know where you're going to make uh, money from, what your income is going to be, how insecure the future is going to be. Um, you know, and how long, again, how long this is going to go on for, then I think that's, that's probably something you can then kind of come back to and think like, well, hang on a minute. I have dealt with this before. Actually, you know, when, once the first sort of the initial shock is over, you can kind of sit down and go, now I can deal with this. You know, that's, that's gotta be a, that's gotta be a massive, massive advantage yeah, it's a hundred percent that um, it was obviously there's an initial shock. And as I say, terrifying, everything disappears. And when I got not saying I got comfortable, but I was I'd got used to the regular, the consistent work. So I knew what was coming year to year. And I knew that um, I suppose it is comfortable in a way. And then to have like that pulled out from under you, it's like, right, OK, now. Yeah, the first couple of weeks when I was cashing on my backlog and redesigning my website, um, that was just to keep my mind busy and to stop myself from going like worried and crazy. Um, and then after that, it's a case of right now, what can we do to to survive? Like really, is what it comes down to. Yeah. So just going back to the the racing, because this has always intrigued me. Not the type of photography or videography I've ever ever got involved with at all. I can only begin to imagine how dangerous it could be. Oh, it, perhaps it isn't. <laughs> how do you how do you how do you keep yourself safe? I mean, you know, are you far away? Are you actually getting right into the mix? Um, I cannot tell you the amount of times I have been hit by stones, and I've got a story about that as well. Um, I uh, also hit by burning rubber. I have been burnt. I have had clothes ruined because of burning rubber. Um, 
fuel. I've been covered in race fuel. Uh, and if anyone knows race fuel, it's horrific. Um, it kind of, it removes all the, all the moisture from the air and you get this like, like wretched car. It's horrible. Horrible. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I am definitely not always safe. It is, uh, I have done some stupid things like, um, to, to get the photo and it's, it's all for that end result, isn't it? You just, <laughs> in the moment, um, especially in the last four years, I've had, uh, because of the nature of the events and, and who I've worked with, I've had health and safety advisors saying like, Dan, we know you've done something like this before, but we really don't think you should do this. And I'm like, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll be okay. And they're like, well, we're just letting you know that we're not signing this off. So you, you're you doing this on your own. I'm like, it's fine. I'll be good. I'll be good. So yeah, it's other people are starting to take notice. That I've done some, some silly stuff. <laughs> but your shots are great. So <laughs> thank you, thank you. Well, that's what everyone always says. They're like it was worth it. Dan, Dan, worth it. I mean, that um, most recent crazy one was probably uh, sitting in a dodgem whilst uh, um, Ken Block did donuts around me in uh, Ford Escort Cosworth. Um, that was probably one of the most ridiculous ones because this dodgem wasn't just a dodgem on the floor, right? Because that would be that would be safe. Because no, this was a dodgem on a wire wheel, like you know, one of those ones for copper wire. Like the big old, yeah. So it was on a plinth and the dodgems just bolted on top with one bolt. And I couldn't rock it because if I rocked it, I'd fall over. Um, and he came around me and did donuts. And I think he did like three or three or four donuts. Now I couldn't see at this point, um, which is usual. But I like to try and get some some cool angles whilst I'm doing it. So I'm moving around in this dodgem and then I realised I was pushing my luck because I could feel the whole thing wobbling. Now I couldn't see where he was. So that was... <laughs> That was probably one of the stupidest things I've done recently, but the results were sweet. That sounds terrifying. <laughs> You're much braver. It's funny. It's not as bad as um, like, cause uh, I've done a lot of uh, donuts, donut shots. Um, they're kind of a classic with, with motorsport. Um, you get that real, you get the trick with my motorsport stuff is capturing something that not everyone can see. So that's always been my, I mean, it'll be the same, Kirsten, I guess, with your um, concert photography and stuff. You're getting something that not everyone sees. Yeah, so if it's, a, it's almost like a heightened reality of, of what's happening. And, and you're capturing, um, you know, a feeling and an emotion as well as an action. And that's the, that's the sort of tricky part, I think. That is, couldn't, could not sum that is the emotion with the action. And um, I... I, one of my favorite ones is to put yourself in a situation where no one should ever be. Uh, and for example, um, let's just say uh, the 16 to 35 mil lens. So the Canon 16 to 35 is one of my favorites. Um, you get that constant aperture of f2.8 and um, you just, you can rely on it. So what I like to do is switch it to 16 mil and then have a car donut around me. And the shots are just, you can't, you don't have that. You don't have that perspective. Like people do not see a car at 60 millimeter right in their face with smoke pouring out the back and flames popping out of the exhaust. It doesn't, like, it's, it's special. Well, that's, that's exactly that. You know, when you do concerts and you're on stage with the act, nobody ever is there. And that's why you get these, these angles that you don't see. You don't see them. Well, you may see them on the television, but you certainly don't see them when you're at the concert in the audience. You know, that's what makes it so interesting. I think, yeah. Giving someone, you're giving someone something special. You're not just taking a photo and and moving on to the next one. It's about sharing something a bit special. And a lot of these people that we photograph, and I mean the concerts as well, is they're people's heroes. So if you can show them 
their hero from another perspective like that's that's a massive win like for for yourself for that person and the crowd like the audience that you're mm. making it for not to mention the company that hired you to do it like that's yeah that's just awesome um there's there's kind of you end up with a shot list and i'm sure you're the same um i have like a very regular shot list that i'll regularly update as well um and that will have my key things and i'll try and touch on as many sort of over the top moments like that like what i was describing with the donuts as possible uh, in sort of one shoot or one event so yeah so actually i've got another story of uh, how dangerous it is um this one a little bit less exciting uh, than uh, than achieving a fantastic result of a car sort of donut around me or anything like that um this one was i was in france and i was on the swiss border um one of the race tracks over there and it's terrible i've actually forgotten what it was called but i was You'll understand why I probably forgot it in a moment. Um, so anyway, it was a drift event. Um, it was one of the pro drift series, European pro drift series events. And I'd been following the the entire um, championship. And it was, we're talking like prime busyness for me as well. So this was like in the start of June and that I was going straight from there the next day to the Isle of Man TT. And then I was staying there for two weeks and then I'd be going straight to another drift event. So it was like, it was nonstop, like, yeah, I'm I, like using laundry services in hotels, which I never thought I would ever have to do. But that's what—that's <laughs> literally how bad it was that that summer. Um, I remember quite explicitly. But anyway, um, in France, and um, I am capturing this, and I'm trackside at the time, and I was watching the the I was watching the movement of the cars, and I could see a really cool angle. So I'll try and explain it. They were coming down um, straight. So it's um, it was a Marshall Point. And it was alongside a right-hand sweeping bend. And they were probably coming at this bend at about 110, 120 20 mile an hour entry speed, okay, into what's called a clipping zone. And if you just imagine in drifting, a clipping zone is like a flag and they have to get the rear end of the car or the front, depending on front or rear, um, as close to this sort of flag as possible. And that scores on the points, okay? Now, what was happening is um, the cars were coming off the edge of this and hitting what we call the kitty litter, which is the stones, okay? So they were hitting the stones and the stones were spraying up towards the, to, in the direction of the crowd, but we're talking like a huge runoff, so it was never gonna hit the crowd. But the shot looked amazing, because if you caught the car coming, you got the flag for the points, the kitty litter, you got the speed of the car, the stones start flying up and in the background is all the crowd cheering, right? So wicked, like it was exactly what I wanted for the the the, the lead image that I was going to deliver and say, look at this, like we've got, because one of the key things was always promoting crowd interaction, always promoting the public without showing any faces. So that's the other, that's the other thing you got to, that's with a lot of commercial stuff, that's what you got to do. But anyway, um, I'm sat there, I'm watching the cars. I'm, I'm, uh, I always like to assess the situation first. So I don't just dive in behind the lens and cause that's just, that's how accidents happen. Funnily enough. Yeah. But that's how accidents normally happen. You just dive in and go, yeah. And then boom, that's it. This one, I watched these cars. So I watched four cars and I thought this one's contrast. This car's contrasted enough for me to, I think, get a good shot. So I'll get one with this and then I'll wait for one of the monster energy drivers to come and I'll do the same thing. So I've got like a, options. Anyway, this car launches in this, this uh, I remember it being a BMW and he's coming in fast, he's coming in hot. And so I frame him and it's what we call a reverse pan. So I'm, I start on what well, I call it, I don't know if it's technical, term, but I call them reverse pans because you start off following the car, but you don't start shooting until you're, till the car's exiting. So it's like, you're not actually 
weird. It's not like a normal pan like that. It's like nothing, nothing, nothing. And then click, 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 click. I'm following it around. So it's like weird psychological thing in my mind. I call it reverse pan. So anyway, um, car drops a wheel off and I think I'm committed. So I'm going to, I'm going to stay shooting this. I'm going to track this car. He then drops a second wheel off into the kitty litter. Stones start flying. And my brain's telling me this is too soon. He's come off the track too soon. Um, I thought, right, doesn't matter. I'm committed. I start clicking, start getting the photos. And then next thing you know, um, I get hit by something. And it hits, I feel a sequence of things spray across my face and the camera. And next thing you know, I'm on the floor. So um, I, heard, I heard broken glass and I was like, like trying to get my senses together. And Marshall, I do speak French, so I was lucky enough to kind of understand, but I could hear people talking. I couldn't see anything at this point and I was on the floor and I could hear people talking about he's been hit. The English guy's been hit. Um, we need to get him off. Like we need to, we need to clear him out. And I was like, I remember all I remember saying was, uh, I'm not English, I speak French. So I was so confused. <laughs> and they were just like, we need to help him out. So they picked me up and I'm immediately sick everywhere. Like the worst, like awful. Like I, I, it's so terrible. And um, they're all looking at me and like, I've got, you know, like when people are like, is he, is he okay? And I was like, why are they looking at me? And I was like, I can barely see people. Why is there seven of that person? Um, anyway, what happened is the stones had completely gone straight through my lens um, so my 300 mil um, was ruined, um, which is fine. These things happen. Uh, the one DX had about three or four new scars. That thing was still strong, by the way. So credit to that. Um, so that had a few scars across the top. Um, and then the rest of the stones had pelted with me here, here, and the Marshall point that I was sat next to completely destroyed, like just through the walls, the windows, everything. So I've been hit twice, I think three times across the, the head. Um, and I remember being so, well, I don't remember really much. There's a hilarious sequence of photos though. <laughs> show it because I held my finger down on the button. Um, but that was, that was terrifying. Um, from what I can gather, I made, I said I was okay, grabbed my gear, walked back to the paddock. And this is where a friend of mine, Ricky, who I work with a lot, he was the videographer on these projects. Um, Ricky saw me come back and he was like, you okay, Dan? And apparently I didn't say anything. And I just dropped my cameras in the paddock. So I didn't even, I dropped my cameras in the paddock and I went and sat in this shaded area and I didn't talk to anyone. He came over immediately with a first aid and he was like, you would never do that. Something's wrong. <laughs> um, and I had severe concussion basically from, um, from this, this impact and the welt Oh my gosh, like absolutely amazing. So of course, what would you do in that situation? Um, I couldn't carry on working, but I knew I had to be at the Isle of Man TT the next day. Um, and I stupidly flew and I have never been so sick in my life. So yeah, um, that was again, a huge mistake because people who are self-employed will understand if anyone really, I mean, if you've got commitments, you've got to try and keep to them. Um, and I didn't care about my own personal safety at this point. And I flew with a basically concussion. Um, and I remember landing, uh, landing in France and the, sorry, landing on the Isle of Man. Um, and the person I was meeting had already heard through the grapevine that I'd been hurt. And he said, can you see me okay? And I was like, not really. And he said, right, you're not leaving the house for 48 hours. Um, we need to keep an eye on you. And they kept me sort of locked away in a dark room for eight hours. But I, that is the worst 
Yeah. The worst accident I've had, luckily, to be honest, because I know people that have had far worse. Um, and I've seen far worse accidents in doing my job. Um, but this this was me anyway. That was my story. <laughs> wow. Kids, don't try this at home. <laughs> no, it was stupid. I mean, that's the risk with these these things like these reverse pans. They're not going to be where other photographers are because that for one, they're, they're not an easy shot and also they're dangerous. Um, and I would not advise anyone standing in the way of a car that's coming off into the kitty layer. It is stupid. Um, and like I said, I've seen some terrible accidents with that. I've seen cars slam into tire walls with people, ducks behind the tire walls that have just, the impact is just insane. Um, I've seen concrete blocks squash uh, photographer pits in the same situation as well, where people have had um, arms and, and, li and limbs, legs, um, trapped um i've seen bits fly off cars one of the in fact talking about it, one of the worst ones i saw um was we were in poland for a street drifting event now street drifting is what it sounds like it was literally up the side of a mountain on public roads that are being shut off um now they don't have um they don't have runoffs they just have curbs um and um it was a section where the cars were coming in at around 70 80 mile an hour and one car just clipped it's i think it was its front wheel clipped it, the entire lower arm and hub assembly sheared off the vehicle and started catapulting up the hill. Now, I was with, my, again, my, actually my colleague Ricky at the time, because it was, it was one of those seasons for the uh, championship drifting, uh, European drifting. And um, this, we, we were sat really far back. So he was on like a 600 mil video lens, you know, and I was on a 400 mil prime and I was sat, we were so far back, um, which is, how, what I recommend for a lot of people, even though I've talked about the stupid stuff, be as far back as possible. Anyway, um, that's as I've got older. That's an age wisdom thing, I think. Um, Self-preservation. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm looking through the lens and I saw it shear off. I got the photo of it shearing off actually uh, somewhere on my collection somewhere. So um, it comes off and I see all these photographers running uh, and I see this girl, this young girl, and she is running away as fast as she can, but she's, instead of diving down the banks of the mountain, she's running up the side of the road, joined with the, the road, so she didn't want to fall down. Anyway, I was watching, and everyone's shouting, everyone's shouting, and this wheel just smacks her in, the, in her back, and she just went down like a sack of potatoes, uh, and I remember, being, I remember turning and looking at Ricky and being like, oh my God, I think, I think she's really hurt. Um, that's... And um, yeah, next thing you know, stretched off ambulance. I hope she's all right. Obviously, that was a long time ago. I hope that nothing bad happened. But that is one of the the worst accidents. Of it wasn't the drivers because I've seen drivers crash, but that was the worst photographer media accident um, I think I've ever seen. I've seen people slapped by spoilers a lot, but that was that's different. That's quite funny in a way. <laughs> <laughs> that was bad. That was bad. But yeah, that's. I'd struggle to even watch that. I, I just couldn't. It'd just been so much shock. It was awful, especially through 400 mil. Like, it, was, it was like perfect. Um, uh, and I saw her and I thought, oh, I never took a photo of that because that's awful. I wouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. But um, the, um, the, the, I remember thinking as the tyre sheared off, I thought this is not going to end well. And, I, and all I could think of was, are Ricky and me far enough back? Because obviously your immediate thought is, have we just been stupid here? Um, but we were sort of two corners up at the time. Um, getting that perspective kind of shot dead on, but yeah, oh. Just real quick, Dan. Just thinking about your the, sto the stone story of what happened to you. Um, again, just from a psychological aspect, have you gone back into those positions again since that's happened, or have you steered clear? 
Well, you'd think I would have learned from my lesson, right? That's really, um, but no. Uh, if anything, I, okay. If anything, I am more aware of what can go wrong. Um, and I still choose to put myself in situations that could go wrong. But there is a level of trust. Right. In fact, that's actually a good way of putting it. So I won't put myself in harm's way for anyone. It has to be someone that I've worked with multiple times or I trust or I've watched multiple times. So, for example, again, I, I don't mean to name drop, but if Petter says to me, I want to do donuts around you, I'm not going to say no to Petter Solberg. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, well, he knows what he's doing. Um, if some guy who's been doing motorsport, com, you know, competitively for a month says, I want to do donuts around you, I'm like, no, that's not happening, mate. Like, it's it, there's, there's certain levels of, of trust that you build, 100% trust you build between you and the driver. Um, uh, that is actually on a massive scale. Like I remember we, um, there's a, a very talented monster energy driver called Luke Woodham, who is a stunt driver really for them. He does incredible stuff. Um, and I've known Luke from when he used to do donuts in car parks. So I've known him before he was sponsored before any of this was, was his, his main job. Um, and we shut down during the lunch hour at Rallycross in Sweden, we shut a section of the track and he did donuts around me on the track and the crowd, I think, were absolutely loving it because there's me just standing in the middle of this world Rallycross track and Luke is just spinning around me, uh, hand out the window. I think he's got a trick where he takes the steering wheel off the car and hangs out the window and he dials the steering with the pedals. So he's going around me, steering wheel out, and it's just like... <laughs> so yeah to answer your question you'd think i would learn but no it's just that uh, maybe there's more of a level of trust now um that's really what it comes down to amazing seriously <laughs> you know you you know when I, when i look through your photos you have this insane ability to freeze the motion of a car let's say but the motion blur that's still going on around it is Amazing. You know, just to go a little bit techie for a change, how do you normally go about achieving that type of a shot? Pretty, to be honest, it's pretty straightforward, actually, Nick. Um, uh, and that's not to be arrogant at all, because I'm not, I'm not special in that sense. It's, it's, um, I, I believe the framing is, is, is my style that I bring to it, but the actual technical side of it, it's pretty straightforward. You kind of just drag the shutter. Um, so you, and I, there is no... There's no real steady, um, sure way to do it, but you kind of, based on the speed of the vehicles that you're working with, um, so for example, when I do super bikes, it's a lot faster, but when I do drift cars, it's a nice consistent speed, but they're erratic. Um, when I do speedway, it's pretty constant. Like there's, So you kind of learn the speeds of all the different vehicles, and that decides your shutter speed, um, obviously based on the light and everything else that's to, to go with it. But I mean, I always say to people, um, when they're starting out, I always say, like, for example, if you can get a shot around 150th of a second, uh, let's say F5, F6, um, you'll get the whole vehicle in focus, apart from the sort of the rear end, which is kind of what you want a lot of the time. And you'll get a really nice motion blur from all the wheels and the surrounding area. Um, again, it's no, there's no real hard, fast rule, but I always say like, as long as you're under 1 100th and it's a good speed, you'll get a good element of speed. Uh, like a good element of, of movement in the image so i don't know it's uh, i like i've helped a lot of people trackside and i've talked to a lot of people in media rooms and um i'm i like to be able to show people stuff so it's always hard on a, on a podcast to describe like how i would do it but um yeah if anyone sees me trackside i'm more than happy to talk <laughs>
Oh, we should do we should do a tutorial video on how to pan. Oh yeah, that's that's hard. Yeah, you can. Yeah, that's that's something you could teach actually. To be fair, there's like little tricks like um, straight off the top of my head. Uh, if you're working with a long lens, I always cup the front just below the actual lens element or the the lens hood and that gives me a lot more stability um another one would be always pan past the subject never stop at the time that you've taken the photo so always just go click 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 and then keep going because that rigid stop always ruins the last photo i don't know it's a psychological thing i guess um always ruins the last one um yeah they're just two kind of straight off tips uh top of my head for that yeah. kind of for panning work it's one of, one of those situations where you know for those listeners who uh, maybe may just be getting into photography you know there's a general rule um, in photography that basically claims that um, your shutter speed should always be higher than your focal length in order to freeze action. Well, this is one of the situations where that really does not apply at all. <laughs> no. Um, my slowest pan, uh, my slowest pan, I would think is one second that I actually... <laughs> wow. Yeah, right. that was in a beautiful circuit in uh, Valencia in Spain. Um, and it was this glorious day and it was just uh i just thought the cars coming straight towards me it was it had a it had a long section of corners it was a drift car so lots of smoke a uh, section of corners and then a long um right hander i think it was and i was able to capture it and frame it so that i got the car with where it had been so you had this big trail of smoke but that was at one second so it looked like the clouds from the car blended into the clouds of the sky and it was just like yeah, it just it, it <laughs> that is like a one in one thousand shot, but it was cool. Like it was that's my longest one, I think. Wow. <laughs> Normally one thirtieth, I am for everything. One 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 thirtieth. Yeah, yeah. It takes a little while to to uh, to practice that and to get shots that um, you know where you've got the the car or the moving element sharp, and then everything else, you know, just has that speed blur to it. Um, yeah, it, it certainly took me a good few months to really get the hang of it. I don't, I don't really think I still, well, I don't think I really have to hang of it, but you know, it's, it's definitely, um, something worth practicing. It definitely is. I agree with that. It's because I'm not even like a steady hand. Like I'm quite, I'm quite shaky. So it's nothing to do. Like I'm not some incredible, like, like it's, um, it's something you can teach yourself no matter what I, I believe anyway, you just got to practice, 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 practice. Yeah. And it's actually, it's something that's relatively easy to practice. You know, you can practice it just out in the street, you know, just take regular cars as, as a practice subject, you know, people might look at you funny, but you can do it. It's, uh, yeah. I've definitely done that as well. Kirsten. I, when I started yeah. out, I went out onto my road and I, it was like a dual carriageway near me and I would sit there and just go, right. Okay. That's one, that's one, 100, right. One eightieth, one, one sixtieth. Well, exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah, cyclists. I think last time I went to Amsterdam, I practiced that. There's plenty of cyclists around. So you just stay in the same corner and just go, <laughs> you know. That's absolutely amazing because there's, there's, some, there's some situations where you have a lot of, like, trackside, there can be a lot of downtime. Um, so there's quite, quite a lot of us uh, in <laughs> – we spend a lot of time uh, doing the slowest pan possible of either the recovery vehicles or the, um, the ones that are relaying the track at a speedway, like the tractor, and you try and make it look like it's going, like, a million miles an hour. And it's just like <laughs> – you will find motorsport Facebook groups and so on are full of people that have gone made the tractor one second or something and it's like this tractor like that might be a fun that might be a fun challenge actually Nick you know we should we should make really slow objects look really fast <laughs> like a snail it's really entertaining definitely recommend it what shutter speed would you need to make a snail look like a high speed car hmm. um <laughs> I think you definitely got to be down in that down in seconds. 
<laughs> hours. <laughs> hours. So just leave the bulb. Just bulb over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Dan, obviously, you know, we've we've talked a lot about, uh, you know, Monster and some of the work you did there. Obviously, a big client of yours for the longest time, and 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 still are, I'm sure. Um, but obviously, you've worked with many other clients who do, you know, different sports, um, different types of events. How how have you how do you find movement between one type of event to another and the different you know do you have different approaches to different types of events different sports yeah it's interesting you say that yeah because um i mean if i try and start from the from the beginning i mean motorsport is what i made my name doing if that if i can even say that um but that's where i established myself um but it started off actually with four wheel, four sorry, four wheel tarmac, which is um, basically all your touring cars and your um, drifting and stuff like that. That then, I'd, I then had to adapt to learn off road four wheel, so rallies, uh, rally cross, things like that. And then from there, um, I must have piqued the interest of people in the two wheel departments. So then you start learning about shooting bikes, uh, which was a whole other ball game. Mm-hmm. Um, so then that's speedway, that's uh, motocross. Um, that's indoor and outdoor motocross, which is a whole different thing as well. Um, and then you've also got your super bikes, your British super bikes. Yeah, it, it kind of, the, even the motorsport alone blew up. Um, and I think, and that's just monster energy, really. Um, so I think each one had to be treated. I, in fact, I won't say had to. Each one I treated like I'd never shot it before. So each one I went in saying, I'm going to bring my style but I'm not going to be overly confident here that I'm going to achieve anything. I'm going to do my best and I'm going to bring what I think they hired me for, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to do my best. And it's, that's what's kind of rewarded me um, with that. Like I, I'm not, um, I'm not actually a hugely confident person, especially with my work. So um, I've just gone in with the hope that what I'm going to do is going to be all right. Um, now, that's just the motorsport side of things. Like if you look at the other things I've done, when I approach a new client, such as for example, um, jet. So let's talk about like, like jet fuel who I worked for. Um, and I was working with them because I'd previously worked with Nick Hamilton. Um, and he wanted me to be the photographer and they took me on board for a project they were doing. And then I did some other stuff for them after that, basically, which was really good. Now that, is a very different company to working for Monster Energy. That is not rad, awesome, cool, let's rock out and, and yeah, like that is not like that at all. Um, Jet was very much like, they came to me and said, listen, we, we've seen what you've done um, and we just want to like, our brief is that we are a family owned, family run company. Um, so uh, this is the image that we normally get portrayed and stuff. So again, completely have to adapt. Um, again, that word again, it's it's um, based on the clients. I have studied every new client in the sense that I've read the history, read about them. I tried to understand what their current marketing material is, um, get an understanding for what they want, and then come to them with like a blank canvas of of what I can achieve, rather than saying, "Oh, I did that for them, so I'll do that for you." That doesn't work. Like that's not. It's it's more of a case of I know how to do that. Is that the kind of thing you want or how can I make that work? Not, well, I delivered that. So you're going to get that too. That, that really doesn't work. Um, in fact, I found there's no one I've worked for where that's worked. So it's the case. Everything has had to be different and modular, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Awesome. It's, it's so important to understand individuals and you know, yeah, there's going to be some 
um, sort of commonalities between clients and you know the way that you do things because they like what you do. But to tailor it to each individual is, is critical, absolutely critical. I mean, a lot of them have have already had marketing material. So, so that's the thing. So you have them approach you because they like your style, but they want it themed similarly to what they've already had, which is understandable. I mean, you can always throw some some new stuff in to show them what they could be getting. Uh, but at the same time, you have to kind of keep to the brief. You know, that's that's what they're there for. It's. I, I liken it to as you you may may remember I've done a lot of audio work over the over the years engineering and so forth. And when you're mixing a song for someone, they've often got um, what we'd call a rough mix beforehand. Now that's they may have done it themselves. They may have had someone who'd recorded at the time do it there. It's so important to listen to that because they've heard that now a lot. And if you go in a completely different direction with it then automatically not going to be as receptive to it or like it as much because they're so used to hearing something a certain way. You need to take what they've done and improve upon it and hopefully improve upon it um, and, you know, and enhance it from there. But take the elements of what they've, they've done there. What were the key bits? Why is that kick drum so loud? Why is that bass guitar so loud? Is it a bad mixing decision or is it just that's what they really want from this? So you've just got to take it, take it on, board, on, on board, right? <laughs> Well, I think you're, you're ultimately you're serving the client rather than yourself. That's you know, that's ultimately what it, what it boils down to. And that for creators, especially in the beginning, that's that's always it's a really important distinction to make. You know, just because you like a particular style of photography, or you know, you think like, well, this is my style of photography, it doesn't necessarily mean that you know it's the, it's what the client really wants. So it's really important to listen to the client. Um, I think it takes a long time, usually, you know, to to carve out. A niche for yourself where people come to you because they specifically want your style, you know, and there's so few, uh, you know, famous photographers that can demand that. I think generally speaking, you know, um, as a working photographer, you really, you know, you're, you're looking at the client, you're listening to what, you know, what they want, you get the brief and then you execute. Um, and, you know, you hope that that's hits the spot, you know. That's very true. You have to remember that you're working for someone. Uh, that's 100%, yeah. Uh, um, I see a lot of people um, that are trying to make a, a way in it and they say to me, oh, what went, you know, they'll take the, their situation and, and um, they go, oh, it seems to have gone wrong. They're not hiring me again. And I said, well, how did you approach it? Like, did you literally just throw them what you wanted to give them? Um, that's not how it works, unfortunately. You have to be so adaptable. And there are times where it is so annoying because, and I mean that truthfully, because your creativity can be stifled in the sense that you have to achieve the result they want. So it doesn't matter what you want to do or what you think you can do. You can propose ideas. And I'm lucky enough, fortunate enough, to have been now with marketing departments that know me. And if I suggest something, more often than not, they're like, all right, well, give it a go. It'll take you 10 minutes, Dan. Like, let's see what, let's see how it looks. Um, there are only very few of my clients that have actually really restricted my creativity. So again, fortunate, but at the same time you're working for them. So that's it. Man. So I think that's actually probably an opportune moment just to mention again that you have your own podcast, right? Oh, uh, yeah. So it's terrible in it because I actually haven't put any new episodes up in a long time. Um, I do have my own podcast um, and I... It is something, it was a side project that we started. Um, again, I don't know why, 
I, I seem to have these grand ideas that I've got all the time in the world. Uh, and uh, this was <laughs> one of those. Um, and I thought, well, I'm traveling anyway, so why don't I just start recording interviews uh, uh, with some of the guys I work with and some of the talented people that I've, I've been fortunate enough to work with and, and some of the drivers and stuff. Uh, and it was, it was great. I think I did 20, 25 episodes, no, 22 episodes, I think. Um, and um, I really enjoyed it. And again, it's actually, if anything, Nick, it's actually become a bit of a showcase because people see it and have said, oh, I like what you did there, Dan. Can you help us set up a podcast? And so it's actually turned out into a couple of people that have made podcasts off the back of what I learned. So I'm, I'm happy. Um, it, it, it's, it's good. But yeah, I was basically, I, um, what's the best way to put it? It's almost like when I started out doing this, um, I before I was doing photography for money, and if that makes sense, before I was doing that, uh, I was in a collective of photographers who very, very talented individuals, a lot of whom never wanted to make a job out of it. Um, and we wrote for a um, an online website called Fueltopia, and um, we basically did articles and went to events and, and off our own backs. So this is like when I'm 18, all the way through uni so i was doing this like just off my own back and, and trying to gain presence in that sense and writing an article and then sharing it about mm-hmm. um so anyway the, there's there would be the four regulars on my podcast and we were all people that started at the same time and you've actually talked about one of them who's a very good friend of mine you've talked about him on your on your podcast and that's dave cox who now lives <laughs> in la um and he is a, an incredible cgi artist uh, not to mention an amazing photographer, um, but that man has never wanted to take photography full time. Um, and I'm always like, back in the day, I was pushing him. I was like, "You're incredible! You're amazing!" Yeah. Um, uh, but he he's never done that, uh, and I applaud him for it as well because it's it's meant that his creativity has never been stifled. It's never mm-hmm. been controlled. Never been told to tone it in. He has literally just gone however he wants um so yeah huge credit to him very good very good pal of mine um and if you ever did want to hear our chats about various photography stuff they are on our they're on our podcast so uh, absolutely and we'll, we'll put a link to your podcast and your website and whatnot in uh, in in the show notes and the description below for sure there's some vlogs on there as well that was again another project um to see if i could do a vlog and again that turned into uh, helping people with um creating vlogs and editing vlogs which actually developed into two years of work for one client which was amazing so yeah so it's these little projects that i did when i was already out earning uh, a living anyway i thought well if i bolt these on then maybe it will show people and it did so again talking back to you know not having all your eggs in one basket that's the only way it is So if you've been following this podcast uh, over the last few weeks and months, then you should probably know by now that every week Nick and myself set ourselves a little challenge. Last week it was a video challenge. This week we set ourselves a photo challenge. And that means uh, we set a subject. Um, In this case, it was a flat lay. And then we have to go and produce a photograph each. And in the following episode, which is this one, uh, we have a look at those photos uh, and we talk about them and we'll, uh, we're looking forward to some uh, constructive criticism um, by, our t- by today's guest. So Dan, have you seen uh, our efforts this week? I have and they are awesome. I love them. I, I, I love flat lay images. These are wicked. Excellent. Yeah, it was really good fun um, producing those. So Nick, uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about your photo? Um, by the way, I should add that if you're listening to the audio version of this podcast, um, then those photos are available for you to have a look at on our Facebook page. And that's facebook.com forward slash 
Um, and then I've forgotten what the uh, Facebook link was. It's facebook.com forward slash camera shake podcast. Sure, that's what it is. Just uh, look it up, have a look, uh, leave us a comment, um, drop us a like. Very much appreciated. Anyway, so Nick, over to you. How did you come up with your photo this time? Yeah. Well, first thing to say is this is actually the first flat lay I've ever done. Um, and I wanted to, there's a couple of things that went through my head to decide on the concept. And the first one was I wanted it to be, um, I wanted to be in it somehow. Because I don't think, you, you don't typically see flat lays with people in it. And so I thought, well, how am I going to go about doing that? And then I wanted the objects that I put in there to say something about me. Um, and then there was a third aspect where I thought, well, how am I going to put these objects together? And I could only come up with one way if it was to talk about me. And that was to describe my personality a little. And that was, as you can see in my photo, extremely uniform, um, as many lines as possible, and on a wooden floor, which has lines to go with it. And so that, that's what I decided to go with. Um, so I just got to say, you're also dead center almost with between two boards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah that, that, was, that was absolutely on purpose as well. So, you know, the objects I ended up choosing, I actually, there was probably twice as many objects as this, um, but these were the ones that felt, they felt like they went together a bit better than some of the other ones I had, some were larger. Um, so we go from sort of left to right, you got kind of the, 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 the video element of it moving across to gaming, and then you've got music over the right-hand side while mixing my, you know, playing bass and whatnot. Coffee. Coffee's always got to be there, man. Um, so we've got coffee in there. Um, and then we've got the two little ducks. One's a Batman duck. I love Batman and all of those kind of things. And then the other one's actually a Darth Vader duck. Massive Star Wars fan. In fact, behind me, if he's still there, we've got a little Star Wars figure behind me. And so, and, and, and then the, the secondary kind of, well, the next kind of aspect of it is I wanted it to feel, in this instance, as, as natural as possible. Um, but obviously a lot of editing still went into this, but I wanted to keep the feel generally quite natural as if you were, you had just looked over me. Um, that, that, that's kind of, kind of what I went with there. Um, not sure what else to describe in that. From a gear perspective, because I generally do um, videography, and I wanted my video camera to be in the photo. I used my, what I use for photography at the moment, which is just a, a Nikon, just D7200. Um, it's shot at, I think it's at 18 or 20 mil in the end on a Sigma art lens. Um, and then the setup is, I was really confined. The space I was in was incredibly confined. So it was a real struggle to get it. So to the left of that photo is my front door. And that front door has some natural light coming through it. I've got on top of the camera, I've, I had to put my flash. So it's actually on top of the camera in this instance with it angled. So imagine it being flat and then the, uh, the, the, the head is angled out. So it's pointing out towards the door, but just at possibly, you know, 45 degree angle. Yeah, you can see it in your, uh, in your eyes. It gives it yeah. away. Exactly. And then uh, also in front of the door, but just slightly off to the side, is, there's a reflector there. Because uh, I tried it the other side, it wasn't doing what I wanted it to do, so I put the reflector there. And then on my right-hand side, there's a white door, which I've shut, which is given just enough reflection back uh, to fill in most of the right-hand side. It's not filled in quite as much as I'd potentially like, um, but it, I was happy enough to, to go with what I had there. And I, I didn't have anything else at the time to, to kind of help me out. 
So th there we go. That's 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 my photo. <laughs> so did did you shoot that with uh, constant light or continuous light? No, just uh, just the flash. Oh, okay. Just just the flash. Multiple exposures, Nick. Sorry. Is it multiple um, multiple exposures, multiple focus points, so that you get no. each? No, one one shot. shot. One shot. Cool. Yeah, one one shot. Um, I, I toyed with the idea of the. Sorry. I wondered if you'd done any stack focusing to make sure, because the items are also perfectly focused. I wasn't sure if you maybe had done. No, I put the uh, aperture was at the end. I was at, uh, I think, five, six, um, somewhere around there. Um, I, f I forget exactly now. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. That's um, I, I toyed with putting the aperture wide open, but it, it just looked better in that way. So um, I actually really like the cold to warm as well uh, element mm -hmm. that you've got. Um, yeah. you've, it's, it's very interesting that the camera equipment is what I would call in the cold. Uh, and then you go to the warmth of the guitar head. Yeah. Um, I really, really like that. Um, and I, I, I almost, that's really cool. That divides the two passions slash jobs. Um, and I, 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 I really like that the, because really what we've, what you've done, is you've divided almost two careers and then in the middle you've got your fun stuff and i believe is that chinese takeaway chopsticks yes it is yeah <laughs> amazing right so there you go so you literally like it's the fun stuff that makes you you in the middle and then these are your creative outlets on the out i really like that that's really cool absolutely and i'm, I'm glad you know i wasn't going to mention it but i'm glad you noticed the, the cold to warm that was actually a happy accident that wasn't it wasn't planned um but it's just the way it worked out based on the way the lighting had to be set up and just that low reflection coming off that white door it's just just ended up that way really nice yeah. i like the highlights on the um on, on the black um objects it's it, generally it's difficult to photograph black objects just generally because you know you lose a lot of detail in the shadows and it's yeah. black anyways so it's, but um i love the way that you know you've got these highlights on the uh, on the camera body and on um on the uh, PlayStation remote and on the ducks, and it really adds some really nice shape to them. You can really see the roundness of it, and that's just that. And you have a clear definition um, and the out, you know, the outline, especially looking at the uh, the PS4 controller. Yeah, um, it's really nice the way that uh, contrasts with the background as well. It's, it's just as you say, you're bang on, Kirsten. Like, these aren't easy objects, especially black items mm. um, from a product product um, photography standpoint. These are these are difficult. This is wicked. Right. Yeah, it's like the uh, the Darth Vader duck's head. You know, that helmet is just really nice the way that falls off. And although um, on the right-hand side, it does go into, um, it, you know, the shadow drops off a little bit. But but actually, you get that really nice roundness off the helmet and everything. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's really well yeah. done, actually. I really like that. It's cool. And then I guess the, the last last thing, to, well, there's two, two quick things I'll just mention. Just from an editing, editing perspective, there was a little bit of photoshopping that happened um, just to get rid of dust, um, things like that. That's that's all. Um, just once that clarity was was heightened, the dust just oh god, it, well, you know, especially on black, and it was just it was unbearable. So I just I just got rid of some of that dust, um, yeah. and then some just basic. It wasn't really a huge amount done in Lightroom on it. Um, you know, just real general stuff. Um, adjusted the colors ever so slightly here and there, but not much. Um, and then from a, a sort of critical perspective now is I didn't notice it as much at the time, but I notice it now I've seen the photo a few times. Is there are a couple of objects that are just off straight and it does aggravate me 
a little bit, like the the NS10 in the corner. I was trying to work there. out if it was barrel distortion on the top right and top left, but I, I think it, it is the Yamaha Studio isn't quite straight, is it? So it's not. No, it's not quite straight, and that was hard enough to get that looking the way it was. Um, it's actually I had to raise it at the back and at the side, right? Because when it was flat on the ground. You, you can see if the lens is on the left-hand side, right, you get more of the side of the of the object. And that speaker looked rubbish when it was sat flat. So as I raised it, it to make it look more flat on with the lens, it, I, I clearly just didn't position it quite, quite right, and that aggravates me. <laughs> but there you go. You live and learn. The reason why that stands out there, Nick, is because everything else is so perfectly straight. Like, it's so minute with the the PS4 controller is ever so slightly minute. And the only reason you'd know that if you knew how many holes there were for the speaker, um, that's the only reason why you can even pick that out. Um, the, the GH5 looks okay. But again, this is why I thought it was barrel distortion on the right hand side. That's because I thought, well, that's weird that it's only the top yep. corner. <laughs> I know, man. I know that there. Yeah, so from a critical point of view, that's that they're things that I would, I would definitely, definitely change. And if I, I think what I love space, about this photo though, is that it so clearly demonstrates the difference uh, in personality between you and me. It's <laughs> just, you know, I kind of, when I was thinking about this challenge, you know, before I kind of thought, I bet Nick's going to do something that's like perfectly geometrical and it's, everything's like perfectly in line. <laughs> and then there's me just going, <laughs> total chaos. Kirsten, that's probably a good point to transition to your photo, which couldn't be more con contrasting in uh, styles. <laughs> so, can you tell us a little bit about how you, you, you know, your concept and how 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 you came about this one? It's awesome. Yeah, I mean, the main concept. Well, I was actually I was looking for a concept to start with, and um, I wanted to go down the sort of explorer type of route, you know, and. Uh, uh, at the same time, I was trying to put in a lot of things, a lot of objects that would, you know, describe my personality in a, in, in a way. And I just, um, I just started dabbling with calligraphy, and so I've been, I've been doing, I've been writing a lot uh, with ink, um, and uh, yeah, so that that sort of became a part of the photo. So these are all really objects that are uh, either old, uh, or they mean something to me, or they part of, you know. Um, my sort of family tradition or whatever, you know. Uh, so all of the things you see in there uh, somehow in one way or another relate back to me. That's that's essentially it. Um, so, you know, there's the uh, the Chinese stamp. So that's a jade stamp um, and the Chinese, uh, you know, ink pot, if you want. Um, and the stamp, um, you know, so that's a, that's a kind of travel thing. Um, the the Chinese uh, the Chinese symbols um, that I they actually mean something I, don't, I have no idea what they mean by the way um, but they do actually mean something <laughs> so <laughs> any any of our Chinese viewers can tell me what they are uh, yeah and, you know so uh, there's the hunting knife uh, my my granddad was a, a forest ranger so that was uh, one of the one of the things I got as a kid um, and there's uh, on the left hand side there is my journal. This is a leather brown journal, um, and that's my granddad's pocket watch. And yeah, and so everything that's in there, uh, in one way, shape, or form, is really uh, a treasured little knickknack. 
you know i have a, actually i do i do create uh, uh you know flat lays now and again and i have a big box of knickknacks props essentially that i'll throw in um you know whenever whenever i make something oh by the way the the thing about the background um if you have a closer look you'll see it's 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 shot on a wooden board uh which nick knows very well i think um, I use that board for so many different things. For flat lays, um, I shoot a photo series called Three Heads in a Row uh, on this, so it kind of acts as a table almost. And I shoot people sitting um, at this board. Um, and uh, and on the right-hand side, you'll see some kind of packing paper. And that packing paper is actually the back of an Amazon uh, parcel that I got. And it's because, I, you know, we're in lockdown. So, you know, Amazon's become my best friend. <laughs> You know, every every shopping experience I've had over the last two and a half, three months or something has been uh, via Amazon. So you kind of made, made me, its way me and there, Dan right? set that that standard when we were there. I think we did, we did. <laughs> I believe so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's I mean that's that's basically how that came together. And um, yeah, it was just a you know the, the subject matter, if you want, um, was you know kind of explorer. Type I love the Olympus pen sneaking at the bottom as well. That is oh, one yeah. of the classic camera. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's uh, I have a, a little collection of classic cameras. So that's that's the one. That... I got to say, to me, this this is straight out of well, the Uncharted video games. Um, yeah. It's straight out of Indiana Jones. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I can imagine exactly it's fantastic. I can imagine a um, on a set they would take this photo, so they made sure it was exactly the same for the next time they shot there. Like it's it's literally yeah. it's just so cool. There's so much to look at. Um, it's funny because when I look between the two, I see a lot of similarities myself in Nick's, but I see yours as where I'd want to be. Uh, this chaotic, warm, happy to just lay it out and enjoy it. And yeah. I, I, I love it. I think it's brilliant. So it's, uh, it's, you know, the interesting thing about these things is there's a lot of uh, set dressing um, that goes into putting a photo together like this because it looks chaotic, but actually every little thing, you know, it's been moved around, mm-hmm. shifted around, uh, you know, there's there, there's so many levels um, of of uh, you know of of set design that that go into that. Uh, yeah, I mean, no, obviously, no disrespect to it, because to me, I can see that you have focused every element. I mean, even it's little things like to me, my favorite. Uh, in fact, there's two things that I absolutely adore. One is the um, the ink pot that's open. I think that is a fantastic centerpiece, and it mm. it ties off against your uh, stamp beautifully. Um, under the magnifying glass, but that pocket watch, that is, that is stunning. And the fact that you've brought the chain back into the shot, mm. um, that's so nice. Yeah. So the thing about the shot is actually the whole, the, the whole shot is, is larger than this. And this is a crop. So you spend a lot of time with these sort of things, uh, cropping it because I wanted, actually, mm. I wanted to create something that would work as a, you know, like a Facebook banner as well as, um, you know, a uh, an instant crop, yeah. So it's, yeah, exactly, yeah. And it's, it, in fact, um, I have it uh, as a as a wallpaper on my phone. So it also it also works, you know, in portrait um, on the phone. So it's I've got another a different crop for that, uh, you know. And the the stamp in the magnifying glass uh, that was that's a composite. So that's a different shot, you know. Uh-huh. So um, because I wanted it to be magnifying, you know. Um, and the other thing is, uh, the, the, the name, like the stamp itself is, that is the actual stamp, but I'm sort of considering using that as a logo on my website. So 
So I want to kind of bring that in. And I might actually stamp all of my photos with that stamp. <laughs> you know, nice. so that's just a well, that was a consideration. Um, there's also the uh, the US half dollar in the top. Um, I was going to put some Canadian money in there, but because uh, part of my family are Canadian. Um, but I don't know if you've seen Canadian money, like the bills. Yeah, look like they're straight out of Monopoly. It's, it's, it's <laughs> like our, yeah, it's like our new money, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So no, didn't really work, but you know, so yeah, it was uh, it was fun putting it together. Um, it was probably well, I don't know. It took me a couple of hours to you know dress the set, as it were. I was going to um, be. I was going to ask that how long it took. I mean, how long how long did yours take, Nick? Um, probably all in all, a couple of hours to shoot, based on the kind of confined area I was in and deciding what to use and getting the lighting right and whatnot. They're, they're so cool. I, we, I, it's lovely to hear the history of everything in yours as well. Um, uh, it's, yeah, I love the fact you've included so many family heirlooms in there, Ketson, as well. That's really, yeah. really nice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, virtually everything everything in there is uh, to some degree uh, a family heirloom or, you know, something like that. I mean, it's... Um, yeah, that's, you can just under the Bowie knife on the right, very right hand side, you can see a little sliver of chrome coming through that, and that's uh, you can see it better in the in the full shot. But basically, that is um, that was my granddad's cigarette case back from the 1930s. Wow! Wow! Yeah, so it's uh, so I, like I said, I have a, I have a box of of knickknacks uh, that I use for these sort of things, and there's a lot of a lot of stuff's in there, and it pops cool, up man. in. It always depends on thematically what the what the theme is. Uh, of a flat like that, you know. I, I'll um, be honest; I've never done one of these, and this seeing these inspires me to give it a go. Because the most I've done is a shot of my gear, like you know, one of those bag shots which shows everything, which yeah. is nothing like this. This, I, I think, I'd enjoy doing one of these. This is really cool. Like, fun, yeah. right? I find it it's therapeutic. I think that's what I would call yeah. it. It's really good fun to make it, and you know, well, of course, you want to light it and, um, uh, and you know, get the get the lighting right because it's. The thing with flat lays is you really want to make them look like it's just window light. It's just stuff randomly thrown, you know, onto the floor and there's just happened to be a window in the right place and, you know, and yeah. just took a shot. Is, is yours a softbox or a window slightly to the left of your shot? Uh, so it's, an, it's, it's fully artificial. It's an, it's an octobox. And um, and I, I use a, a variety of, so, you know, white foam core um, plates that I place around in order to get the reflection right and stuff so it's yeah it's, it's lovely it's a very even light like um it's the mag light that gives it away if anything and the top mm. of the olympus pen that's it otherwise it's that's really really cool yeah so the trick with those is and this is like really just through experience um the, the trick is to slightly underexpose those especially when you have shiny objects in there you know um the the zipper light is a problem uh you know the coin could be a problem and the the nips are a problem the watch you know the watch face is a problem. The Mac lights a problem. So you've got these, um, you've got these very shiny uh, objects in there. So if you slightly underexpose, make sure you're not blowing out the highlights on those, yeah. and then you can bring a lot of it back. You know, um, so especially you know a modern full frame camera, you've got you shoot in raw, you've got that flexibility to bring a lot of the uh, a lot of shadows back. Um, so you know, it's yeah, watching the highlights with that is critical. Okay, you mentioned there's obviously the, the composite with the the magnifying glass logo there. Is the rest one one shot, or is that yeah. uh, is it multiple? Yeah, everything else one shot. I mean, it's a, it's the, the thing about these is that's what I find. You know, I spend a lot of time laying those out to start with, and then uh, the actual 
the actual shoot itself is really quick. I mean, once once I've got it laid out, you know, there's a couple of test shots, and I shoot I shoot them tethered, so I can see on the laptop, I can see uh, what's coming through straight away, and then I can move things around, um, and I'm forever fiddling. You know, it's like a, I don't know. There's like a paperclip that's not in the right place. <laughs> you know? I mean, some of it is, like I said, yeah, some of it is, is sort of highly organized. The other thing, um, uh, it, one thing I like to do is to give it another layer and another dimension by just throwing some dust on it, or in this this case, some wood shavings. That is totally, that really is completely random. I mean, it just goes yeah. bang, and there it is. Yeah, <laughs> you know? so, yeah I mean, it's, yeah, so, uh, and the more time you spend, um, in the beginning, the less time you have to spend uh, compositing stuff afterwards. You know, I like to spend time in getting the look right and putting some kind of textured overlays on it. There's, there's a couple of textures on that that give it a slight filmic look. Um, but uh, in terms of compositing things, I knew that I was going to composite the uh, the magnifying glass, like the you know whatever the glass itself shows. So I did a number of different shots in order to get the magnification right um, in that. But other than that. So we've come to the end of this week's podcast. Uh, massive thanks to uh, this week's guest, Dan Fijian. Uh, thank you very much for being on the show. We thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope you had a good time. It was honestly fantastic. Thank you so much for having me, guys. It's been a pleasure. Fantastic. It was a real education, I have to say. Um, you know, I'm going to have... I'm, I'm looking forward to the, to a time when, you know, we can go out again and uh, racing's happening again. And I can, you know, I can uh, try some of your suggestions, particularly with the panning. I'm definitely going to be trying it out for sure. Definitely, definitely. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> now, that is it for this week, folks. You've been listening to the Camera Shake podcast with me, Kirsten Nuts and Nick Kirby. Um, as always, you'll find all the links on our Facebook page, that's facebook.com forward slash camera shake podcast. I will also have a link to uh, Dan Fegan's uh, website there, which is www.danfeganphotography.com. Check it out. There's some real treats on there. If you're into motor racing, into photography in general, then uh, definitely make sure you check that. Um, but again, the links on our Facebook page. Uh, if you're listening to the audio version of this podcast, then please do us a flavor and uh, subscribe to the Camera Shake podcast over on YouTube. And uh, as always, head over to Facebook and drop us a like there too. So without further ado, we will see you again next Thursday.